five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host, Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts, Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year, I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. Welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I'm your host, Justin. We've got the full crew, Dan and Jason, here with us tonight. And he's back. Dan's back. Dan, I feel like it's been like a month. Can you take me home? (laughs) Can you call my daughter? Sorry. I was a little lost. You were, you, last week you were doing some college tours. How did that go? Uh, it was, I, I had to tell my oldest daughter to not fall in love at first sight at college doors. Cause, uh, we got to see what the financial aid package is. It's one oh, thing yeah. to go to a big campus and walk around all day. It's another thing to get in and another thing to get in and to pay for it. Those yep. are, those are some extra steps there. So, um, uh, but she's way more excited about getting into college now after one cool college tour trip than she was prior to so mission accomplished yeah that's great yeah that's great well we missed you last week um our our episode on indie versus triple a was maybe a little meandering (laughs) (laughs) yeah the dog was walking us i enjoy listening to the show even when i'm not on it and you guys are are being very too quick to dismiss Rings of Power. That's all I have to say. I'm just going to leave it <laughs> there. Oh, dude. You, did you, the last episode was an I adrenaline. I fell asleep during the last part. What, with the battle, the battle yes. episode? Oh, yes. Well, it's time of day. You got to watch time of day. I, I don't, don't know. Don't, don't, I, don't watch it when you're tired. I don't know. <laughs> I've, I've not impressed. The best time to watch it is during work the day it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I'm just kidding. Good to know. That's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> Uncle Sam, that is a joke. All right. And th- those are all my rebuttals. Oh, I have one more rebuttal. Love and Thunder was great. You guys are crazy. Done. Done. Mic, dr- mic drop. I saw I'm Love done. and Thunder. I thought it was okay. Love you guys you guys harshed on it in the last show. I don't even know what... what is, wait. R- Thor. A, oh. Thor. Yeah, but, you guys really... But, but I'm not. I, the thing was, we didn't make a statement about it being bad. We just made a statement that no one talked about it. No one talked about it. No one it. talked about there, it. There was a yeah. lack of buzz. Well, it's, yep. a, it's, yep. a com- it's a comic book. You read the comic, you throw it away. Yeah. And, oh. and it's, it was go. a comedy comic book. It was more kind of more funsies than, than drama and then Shakespearean drama. I thought there were some great parts. There's some great parts in that movie. It did. The whole it did part have with, some real moments. With Zeus, that was hilarious. That was way over the top. But yeah, I liked it. It was great. Yeah. Sorry. Well, well, we've got a great show today. We are going to be talking about how to graduate your fellow gamers so that you're not playing Monopoly all the time. Womp, womp, womp. Should never be playing Monopoly anytime. <laughs> <laughs> I have a copy of it on my shelf. That's, that's so, for the uh, annual burning, right? And yeah. you have a copy too, I can imagine. Je- yeah, does he? 
you know, I think I might have thrown it away. Okay, good for you. Dude, that's, that's <laughs> hardcore, sure that's, man. I, th- I probably have, like, University Monopoly up in my attic or something. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about how to get your friends to start playing some of those complicated games you love, you know and love. But first, as always... How was your Geek Week? Let's start it with Dan. Dan, how was your Geek Weeks? Well, uh, uh, Kickstarter came in for me today, and I've left the game in plastic because as I was about to open it up, I said, wouldn't it be great to do a, 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 a an opening, a box opening for Tabletop and Beyond? Ooh. So I have the Call to Adventure Epic Origins, which is the fantasy um, uh, D&D compatible version of Call to Adventure. So by the time you build out, you play Call to Adventure, but now there's more magical things and different races and stuff like that and classes. And by the time you get to the end of your hero's story, you have you can convert your character into like a level one D and D character, which sounds like a terrible amount, (laughs) a terrible amount of fun. And I don't even want to play D and D. I just want to create characters like RPG characters using called adventure. Now I did get the foam inserts and I did put those together. Um, required a lot of, I used the wrong kind of glue. So, um, I'm just going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a brand under, like, I didn't have like regular super glue because, you know, I, I just didn't want to go to the store and it was like, I just wanted to, to go in the basement and, and listen to what I wanted to listen to and put the thing together. So I used Gorilla mm. Glue nope. and Gorilla Glue is not good for anything. I bought a bottle of it like six months ago and every time I try to use it for anything, it is a disaster. Yeah. So what, what happened was, is these were foam inserts. The Gorilla Glue didn't melt the foam, which I appreciated. Um, because it's kind of, they're kind of like foam core, you know, paper, paper mm-hmm. on top, paper on bottom, foam in the middle. And, and you build up all these different trays and the trays are great and they're colored really great and, 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 and it's great. But everywhere where the glue bubbled out, it turned into foamy, foamy foam, like froth and then hardened up. Yep. So in order for me to use this thing, I've got to go get my, my Dremel sander and carefully sand off all the foam. Um, so this that's is gorilla turned, glue, man. Every time yeah. I use it, I'm yep. I'm so done with this. So I've got to start using better adhesive. So handy safety tip, everybody, get to know your adhesives. Even if your adhesives cost you more money, and you think you're going to save some money on adhesives when you know how they work and you know what materials you're going to test it out on, that use the right adhesive. What I should have done is I should have popped a few things out, done some trial pieces with some whatever glues plural and then figured out the one i liked i would have saved myself so much pain and misery because i put together the, the whole damn thing out of stubbornness and i should have stopped doing it um but nonetheless it's it's hard to have that patience when you get something new yeah you're like i, I want to do this so anyway long story short i will not post pictures of that because of shame because all i feel <laughs> is shame Meanwhile, the Gorilla Glue is like, you knew what I was when you picked you me up. You knew what I was. Yeah. yeah. So I just. I never pretended to be anything else. <laughs> I, I can't. I have. I got it out of my wood. Sh- my woodworking area. I've not found a good use for this crap yet on anything. So, anyway, yeah. all right. I'll shut up now. Uh, I have a surprise for Justin. I yep. just wanted to let you know okay. that I I did paint my Warcry army, my Sisters <gasps> of Cain. Oh Daughter, yeah, daughters of Cain, but that's okay. Daughters of Cain, whatever. Yep. Yeah, daughters it's of Cain. Okay. Well, some of them are sisters. There's subgroups in there. Yep, yep. Um, 
had a hard sisters. Yeah, had a hard time painting. It's very easy to paint an orc. It's hard to paint like a, a beautiful woman, right? Because <laughs> I would totally agree. <laughs> you get a splash of paint wrong on the beautiful woman, and suddenly she has armpit hair. Oh. So, I mean, I, I, I did some washes on there. You know, I did some yeah. like regular matte, you know, opaque paint. Some so the, the lightest paint I have, which is, I think, Army Painter Elven Flesh. It's the okay. lightest skin okay. tone. And it was working okay. And then afterwards, I did some Army Painter uh, washes. I did the soft tone. And then I did some red tone. Uh, Soft tone did a great job of finding, like, their rib cages and their navels. And they're really small. And it found all those little things. And if I didn't put it on there. But it also went into weird places like armpits and (laughs) other things where I'm like, before I I, I seal them, I want to go through and maybe do, do a little bit of... A touch, touch up, up touch up mm-hmm. with some going back to the opaque elven flesh and just saying who cares and and having it be okay but they they definitely they went from looking like plastic barbie dolls to looking like nasty barbarian chicks that have been fighting in the mud nice. um so i don't know which is the right answer for these babes uh but long story short uh daughters of cain I'm d- I can actually play this damn game now, and I bought this set in April. That's right. <laughs> we're going to have some – this holiday season, we're going to do some battle reports too. Yes, we are. I, yeah. I, I don't even know how they play. I finally got to the end of painting them. We'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out. And what if I hate them? I don't know. We'll sell it. You won't hate them. They're, they're freaking little blenders, dude. They have lots of attacks and I can like do lots, lots of, of damage. Have you so, played yeah. have, – Justin, have you ever played Daughters of Cain? Against? Um no. In Warcry, in Warcry, no, in I AOS, not. I have, but not in Warcry. No, but I did. I did an analysis with Dan Herrera on them. Mm-hmm. And, Salty um, gamer, they've Salty got C gamer. Yeah, they've got um, a lot of abilities that like increase their strength and damage. Now, their was strength- this uh, Warcry 2.0 or 1.0? Yeah, yep, even Warcry 2.0. So, okay, cool. Um, yeah, the, the thing is, is they can quickly like on on paper, you're like, okay, they're okay, but with a double. They can quickly get up some massive damage and attacks. Yeah, doubles are so accessible in yeah. that game. It's just, you just kind of count as you can use it. Yeah. So, um, I the thing is, is they're a little fragile, right? Especially the little witch elves, like the small ones. So you got to get them in there and swing fast and quick. Yeah, you yeah, got to you got to be choosy with your yep. little with your little yeah, she elves. You got to be choosy on how you put them in. But the they're basically sisters, just wearing bikinis. <laughs> exactly. The Princess Leia's of the Warcry game. They wear a lot of metal bikinis. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. Well, I like how you said the speed paint found their navels. Yeah, the speed paint did that. I didn't bother painting eyes in them. I just did the wash. Washes are great for just bringing it's out gr- facial yeah. features. Mm-hmm. But there's some real downsides too. But yeah, yeah. They, certainly, they they have not been using the the lady razors. <laughs> nice. So nice. maybe that's a feature, not a bug. They're, maybe they're it's, progressive. <laughs> maybe it's a fear thing. It's like, oh no, I don't. This chick's freaking me out. I'm gonna run the other way. I don't know. Anyway, Daughters of Cain. I finally got around. So now I feel like I can play a Games Workshop game that I own with an army that there I don't know, go. a skirmish, army. Army. a skirmish, yeah. a skirmish army, not a full army, but a skirmish that's... army that I own. Well, let's do it. My wife's out of town all next week, so every night. 
Every night. Every night. My wife is also out of town. Oh, that's right. She's going to the same place mine is. As is mine. (laughs) Oh, that's right. All three of us. Crap. We're all stuck in our houses. Yeah. Crap. We need to go in on a babysitter. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just bunch all of our kids together at one person's house with cots and sleeping bags. (laughs) Who cares about school? We're gaming our way through this (laughs) week. Yeah, right. Anyway, that that was my geek week. I have, I have a lot of other stuff because I haven't been on the show a long time. So as 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 the moments come upon me, I'll go. Oh yeah, I was doing another thing. All right, somebody cool. else go. Justin, you go next, man. Uh, so I think last week I talked about how I was uh had assembled all of the Heart of Gur terrain and models, and I was getting ready to paint it. I threw up on our Facebook page and Twitter and all that stuff, a poll, who, like, what should I start with? Terrain ended up winning out, and so this weekend, I think I got 80% of it done. So I'm pretty happy with it. I I was putting on some of the last bits of um, bamboo color on tonight before the podcast. Cool. And uh, just need to put a little bit more on and got to throw a wash on it and then dry brush it, and then the bamboo will be done, and then I just got to do some, like, little rocks and and dirt stuff that's around the edges of the terrain. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm really happy with how it's come out. It look, I think it looks really good. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun to play on. And I, it's going to be, it's going to look really good for the camera for our battle reps um, report. And what's so. one of your goals with the dry brushing step after the wash? What are you trying to, what are you, are you putting mud on there? Or are you, are you doing grime? What, what is it? For? Uh, no. So what happens with some of the washes is like, it'll darken the color. Yes. Um, more than you want it to, yes. right? And it looks a little dirty sometimes. Yeah, we just discussed this. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. great. And keep, so keep if you, especially with terrain, especially with terrain, mm-hmm. if you dry brush the original color over that, um, the the wash will stay in the recesses and the dry brush pulls out the highlights. Oh, good. So, I'm going to steal um, that. Yeah. So that's a that's a big factor right there is, uh, is dry brushing. Mm-hmm. Especially on terrain, right? Because terrains, like, usually got big, big details. Like the bamboo that I'm doing, it's got those like ridges and like joints. You know what I mean? So I want the wash to get into the joints of the bamboo stalks, and then the I want it to pick out the ridges as I go back over it. So So it's the same concept with the oil washes with the reductive technique, where you wash it with oil and then you go back and remove it from the edges. You don't. You're not actually putting a different color paint on, but the oil stays in the dark recesses, so it yeah. darkens yeah. it. So you yeah. get that sense of a highlight. Nice. Two different methods. Yep. They're both good. Yeah. Well, and you. I mean, oil. You can do the reductive method because it responds to the white spirits. Right. Uh, acrylic. Right. You need to. You need to dry brush over it because you can't remove the, True. the wash because um, it's acrylic. So. Yeah. Anyway. I think they're probably both, pretty close in time though, because you have to revisit all those places you want to change the color of the model. Yeah. Either you're either revisiting it with a Q-tip or a sponge, or you're revisiting it with a dry brush. I'm going to give the edge to the oil wash, though. Um, okay. It, just, just because you don't have to be as careful about how you wipe it off. That's true. It's much more forgiving for the blending. Yeah, because like with the dry brush, like if I'm dry brushing this bamboo, I have to be very careful about how I like don't hit the rocks with my dry brush as yeah, well. Yeah, that's you true. Yeah. So I have to be careful about how I angle it and and get in there and what size of brush I'm using. If I'm taking off an oil wash, it doesn't matter the size of the sponge. It doesn't matter, like, you know, because you're you're taking it off. So, yeah. Yeah, way less messy to dry brush, though. Oh, gosh, yes, and and way less stinky, too. Yep. 
Yeah. So, uh, so that's our first one. Uh, the second one is that uh, this is a throwback to 2015. Um, I just started watching Mr. Robot. That's 2015, huh? Wow. Yeah. I um, had never seen it before. It's always been kind of on my bucket list. And is I, that the dude um, with the hoodie? Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, he was Freddie Mercury. In the yeah, he's Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Malik, uh, no. Oh, I don't remember gosh, much about that. Name? I remember trying to watch it, but not being able to get into it. Does it move yeah. slow? Rami Malek um, is the it's a actor's name. Um, kind of, but it's I I think it's compelling. Like I think it's interesting. Hmm. Um, I think him as a character is interesting. Um, it's like I'm not quite through the first season, and there's been like a couple of twists and turns, and I'm like, okay, this is a little. This might be a little much, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it turns out. All right. If they can cool. stick the landing, then it'll be worth it. If they can't stick right. the landing, then it's like, wow, okay, you know, like this just kind of jumped the shark. I, so. I think it went for so many seasons. It had such a it had such a great critical, uh, acc- such critical acclaim. I don't think you'll be disappointed. I didn't get through it, nor nor did I. I think it came out when I was still had basic cable, and I yeah. didn't jump in at the right time. Right, uh, but that like you like you, it's always on the the back burner of one of those mm-hmm. cool ones too. It wasn't it an HBO show? Uh, no, it was. It wasn't. It was. Uh, it's a USA Network production. Yeah. So, I don't know where. I, I think it was streamed on Netflix. Yeah, um, I remember. Or maybe Hulu. I remember surfing into it and being completely lost and moving on. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is good. I yeah. can't understand what the hell's happening. Move along. Move but along. I'm watching it on Prime uh, Video. Oh, cool. So it's got all the seasons on Prime Video. And, uh, I mean, it's it's pretty good. Christian Slater's good. Rami Malek, uh, obviously, like, Academy Award winner, right? It's really good. Yeah. So, Great. Cool. Yep. Yep. So diving into that. I, I will say that I watched um, The Peacemaker, the first season of The Peacemaker, um, which is a, it's a DC Universe show. It's a oh, spinoff yeah. of uh, yeah, yeah, Suicide yeah, yeah, yeah. Squad. Uh-huh. Um, it's got its moments of a little bit of a uh, questionable stuff in it. It's an HBO show. It's an HBO show, but it was pretty gosh darn funny. Like it was, it was a pretty good show. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious. He's got a friend uh, who's named the uh, Vigilante, and um, he's <laughs> he's like the optimistic sociopath. Like he has no flo- no qualms about like killing guys who he thinks did bad things like he's like you know like killing people like murderers and rapists and graffiti artists and (laughs) (laughs) it's like whoa dude you can't kill graffiti artists (laughs) (laughs) so anyway that was pretty good but anyway i'm stuck into mr robot right now i'll give you i'll give a report as i make my way through it are you guys watching andor um, whew, I watched the first episode and crash. I fell asleep so hard. You need to it manage your so... energy level. I think yeah. there's a little bit of a theme, a trend here that we're hearing. Yeah, I keep falling asleep. Every show that Dan likes, I fall asleep through. I'll I mean... tell you what, though. Andor, <laughs> that first episode was so slow. Yeah, it, this whole... It's got some pacing problems. A, a lot of shows ha- are having pacing problems. I think it's because... Oh, I First of all, I know why there's a pacing problem in Rings of Power. Because they already got greenlit for like five seasons. Yeah, I know. So, I know. And that's, uh, that is one of my critiques. Is I'm like, dude, we're not getting to the story because they know that they got five seasons left. Well, so. and S- Silmarillion has way less pages in it than like 
any one of the three Lord of the Rings books. It's a thin yeah. book. It's closer to The Hobbit. So, and they're covering all this. Anyway, I, I won't go into it, but when you know you, when you plan out five seasons, then, and you're going to stretch them out over 10 years, clearly you can see what happens. You know, it also has that exact same problem is Apple's foundation series. They're like, well, yeah, I oh. mean, we're laying, mm-hmm. we're planting yep. seeds for season four here. And, you know, it totally had face palming this thing. So yeah. maybe they'll get better, but I, I, I like, uh, the slow part doesn't bother me because I feel like all of the hours I wasted reading Silmarillion have paid off. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know why I'm reading this. It's important. It's not entertaining, but it's important. It was it's, important for this damn show. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird because slow isn't necessarily bad. Like the you right? know the the Blade Runner franchise is yeah. notoriously a slow moving oh, yeah. thing, but it's yeah. but it it still keeps me in enraptured so i don't know you yeah. know what is slow is not necessarily bad if it's done in a good way some of these are just a new medium i think green lighting a story for i don't know for 50 hours right five seasons 10 episodes each it's a lot and, of time. Light, and cutting a check for a billion dollars that is an entirely different art art form than making a movie where people have to eat popcorn so i'm just throwing that out there i'm sorry yeah i mean maybe you're right because i i've also been watching house of the dragon right which is uh yeah no wonder he's falling asleep he's watching like seven shows (laughs) at the same time so i've also been watching that show but um that started out very slow but the pacing's much better now granted i think it's got its second season approved but just a second season at this point do you know what i mean so i don't and i don't i think it's probably got four or five seasons tops to this show um maybe not not eight like the its predecessor but um but you know maybe maybe there's something to that like where you have to just be prepared to finish that arc and maybe finish the series at that same point right so got to get through the material yeah well we've been chewing up uh, jason's geek week time that's true that's okay i'll, I'll make mine fast oh um, good so. <laughs> <laughs> We guess because we got lots of news. I put uh, in like fifty news items. I know. So, um, <laughs> so yes, listeners. Um, you know, hope you join our show to listen to the news because that's pretty much the main top. No. Um, so, <laughs> my my uh, my my geek week is quick. Everybody knows. Last couple of have been talking about how I'm finishing up my kill team because. Uh, I'm really excited to play. So I batch painted my bases for Kill Team. I came up, I think, with a, with a what I feel is a really cool scheme, kind of a rustic desert mm-hmm. uh, look. I put a couple on uh, on uh, in our Discord channel. I actually posted on Instagram for the first time in like five years. Whoa! And put nice. the bases, and I found it. You know, as everyone else in the world has already known, that I can link it to my Facebook, <laughs> so I can post nice. one place, and it posts ever. Although it does, uh, it does interestingly wait like half a day before it yeah. puts it on Facebook. It's, Pro- it's weird yeah. like that. Well, I think it's probably just trying to monopolize the initial feeds. Uh, you know, to say come come visit Instagram, and then once everyone sees Instagram, then it's okay. Facebook, you you can have it too. Oh but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, um, so I'm excited about the bases. Um, I got everything all done with my acrylics, and now I'm just ready. And all my tower painted, too, at this point. I just need to find some time to slap the oil wash on them and do my reductive technique and glue them to the bases. I'll be ready to go. I probably got just another maybe two hours, and then my kill team will be ready to go. So I'm excited excited to do that. Um, 
Second thing was uh, I rebooted back up Aliens Fire Team. Oh, this is one okay. we yeah, this one we talked about uh, you know, earlier in the year that was on Games Pass, but uh it has had a it has a new um uh loadout on it um that I haven't played yet, but uh I jumped into it the other night and it was just as fun as I remembered, just running around really feeling like you're in the aliens universe, you know, killing some bugs and and stuff. Uh I had no idea what I was doing until two two games in because uh, it just you step it's one of those you step away from it for a while and you're like wait what what's the combo of gun special ability that i'm right, doing right. here and but it came back quick fun game still recommend people check it out um if you get a chance so that was fun uh just something to burn the brain when you get home at night you know before you start the next day so easy kill easy geek week for me very good sweet very good well done yep very good. Well, that brings us to our favorite segment, When Dan's Here, <laughs> The Geek News. Okay, baby. Welcome to Tabletop and Beyond News. Is that better? Does that work? That's fantastic. That was for you guys. All right. Uh, the most important thing is we want to talk about Baron of Dice and our special new relationship with the Baron of Dice. So let's jump in. Who's gonna Who's gonna hit this one? I'll hit it uh, real quick. Yep. Let Justin, you queued up. There we are. There we are. Yep. This so is, this, this is this is high production value. Yeah. Man. So just real quick, everyone, you've heard this last couple episodes, right? Baron of Dice. We have a uh, we have a partnership with with them now. Go over to baronofdice.com, H-T-T-P-S, colon, slash, slash, baronofdice.com. There is no www there. We tried that and realized it took us a minute, but we realized that's right. There's no no www in there. Anyways, head over there. Use special code Tabletop and Beyond to get a discount. It helps us out, helps him out. Get all your themed D6 and polyhedral uh, dice there. He's got tons of themes there, so check him out. Support him, support us, and uh, let's keep the dice rolling on the table. Be good times. Always keep those dice rolling. It's it, right. it, it's it's really a beautiful catalog of stuff. I was really really impressed. I I kind of like was wishing I could buy dice for a game. I was like, oh man, I need a game to buy dice for. So anyway, we'll get there. You do have a game. It's that space opera. Game. <laughs> yes, yeah. it's the space opera game. Yeah, we'll, we'll let's 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 cross that bridge when when those dice yeah. are posted on on the uh, on his store. With the hero, you, Atmosphere Strider. Right. Well, <laughs> you've also got you've also got some miniatures with navels that need dice to go with them. I know, and I, I had bought some six months ago, and I'm regretting ah, right. that purchase. So. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool, cool. All right, the next piece of news. Uh, Free League and Demiplane announced the release of two digital tool sets for Nexus. Okay, one is for Alien RPG. Yeah, I saw this. Ding! Mm-hmm. And Mutant Year Zero. So essentially, you get a digital version of the game for twenty nine ninety nine. You get uh, the source book, um, and you get a Destroyer of Worlds Adventures. This purchase is going to unlock digital references, careers, talent, spacecraft, organizations, alien species, and gear. Now, here's the cool thing: players can use the site's video, voice, and text chat, along with matchmaking, the matchmaking service, to join games along with their favorite virtual tabletop. So 
You want to play the alien RPG. You have no one to play it with. Join Nexus. Nexus will find a game for you to play in. Doesn't that sound great? And also mm-hmm. they have Mutant Year Zero as well for $29. That has a starter booklet and a bunch of other great stuff. So uh, those are uh, currently in early access with a planned release of the character creators coming in 2023. Yep. So keep an eye out for that. I think it's great. Um, really, They're really wrapping their arms around the entire player experience, and that's super exciting. Mm-hmm. And who doesn't want to have content like from the publisher integrated into the platform? That is always going to be a winner. Since we're talking about Free League and they are great, we talked about them last week. Um, they have opened pre-orders for the Lord of the Rings role-playing 5e adaptation of the One Ring RPG. They have a 236-page rule book with uh, six New classes, six cultures, journey and council rules, new monsters and new magical items. There is also a pre-order for uh, uh, Shire Adventures, a 104-page hardcover with five short adventures along with pre-generated versions of Bagginson's, Tooks, and Brandy Bucks. Um, so if you go ahead and pre-order, you will also immediately get PDF versions of those books. So you That's get some awesome. immediate gratification and you can wait for the hard covered stuff to come through. Anyway, if I ever ran D and probably would run it in the Lord of the Rings universe. Cause that's yeah. a lore that I feel comfortable with as we discussed earlier in the show. Well, I'm looking at the one ring starter set that I have right here, right now yeah. on my shelf that we need to play soon. Yes, we do. Um, and this has all that stuff that they talked about in there, right? The Baggins Tooks Brandy Bucks, the Shire Adventure. Yep. So uh, it sounds like you got a lot of really good stuff. A lot of really so, good stuff coming into the D&D world if you're, like, totally, you know, versed in 5e. Yeah. If you're comfortable in 5e and you don't want to learn another system or your players don't want to learn another system and you don't want to have to spin, you know, spin them on hey we could learn something new because some groups just won't do it you've got this so keep on trucking uh in other news one of my favorite game companies Brotherwise games announced an upcoming role-playing game based on the stormlight archive novel series by brandon sanderson so it came on sanderson's youtube channel promoting the current kickstarter for a set of licensed miniatures for stormlight archive so yep. there's minis and an rpg for you stormlight archive fans right now i'm all i've also started painting the eight miniatures that came with the Brotherwise games of the the dragon prince and i'm having a nice time painting those for my son he loves that series and uh, i thought i'd matched up the the characters to the right uh you know, character cards to get the paint scheme right. And he corrected me very quickly. He's like, no, this oh. guy goes here and this guy goes here. And that was pretty sweet. So, but a lot of gold piping in their outfits, a lot of gold piping. And these are small minis. <laughs> I need a 0.0001 brush to do some of those uh, gold piping. <clears throat> so I was going to say, uh, you know, the nice thing about a Stormlight, Ar- Stormlight Archive RPG is that, um, there's a lot. Have you have you read those books, Dan? I have not, but um, I know how much positive buzz there is about them. Yeah. So the the nice thing is that like basically, these people kind of rediscover these latent uh, superpowers that they have, right? That 
they're called Knights Radiant, and they each have something different, right? There's somebody that can, like, do disguises on themselves. There's somebody who can run in the air, basically, right? Uh, there's somebody who um, can basically is, like, super agile, um and they've all there's like all sorts of different kinds of knights radiant and there's also like the bad guys that also have their own sets of powers too so the nice thing about this is it's not going to suffer the um kind of like the what i call the witcher problem where everybody wants to be the witcher you know like everybody will can you can have a nice diverse set of superheroes essentially um now granted this is a fantasy novel so it's not like uh comic book superheroes right but, you know fantasy heroes that all have their own unique sets of powers that um can solve problems and i think that that'd be a lot of fun yeah yeah no i uh it, anytime there's a, a system that helps you do storytelling you're in a good place right yeah. and if your players like that story or if they're compatible with that story and you can add depth to it uh and you have a system and you don't have to do as much homebrew to connect up all the sinews from one thing to another. It's going to be a winner. Um, I, I played, uh, Genesis, um, Android shadows of the beanstalk with a guy who competed competitively in, in Android Netrunner in the Netrunner card game. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. And he really understood the depth of that universe because he, he competed and understood all the lore behind all the cards. And so when we played the RPG, it really added a lot. So if you're in a Stormlight Archives fan and you you know you don't want to learn D&D lore or you don't want to learn Lord of the Rings lore, you definitely check it out. All right, this brings us, speaking of D&D, the Wizards of the Coast is doing something really cool that I I think is 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 well worth talking about at least giving Wizards of the Coast some kudos for doing positive things. Wizards of the Coast launched a new program for educators to start Dungeons & Dragons after-school clubs. Now, my kid has been in an after-school club, and there was no like curriculum. The, the, the teacher just said, you guys like D&D? Go play it. If you need my mm-hmm. help, I'm sitting over here. So, But in this, kits are available to any qualifying organization, such as schools, libraries, community centers, or other enrichment organizations. These D&D after-school kits include a copy of D&D Starter Set, Dragons of Stormwreck Isle, instructions and guidelines for club organizers, a quick demo and learn to play guide for dungeon masters, easy to read character cards, and a poster to promote the club. Wizards of the Coast also provides D&D class curriculum through Young Minds, inspired with free digital packets to help teachers include D&D in their class lessons with options for grades, a grade grade four to six, which is ages nine to 12, and grades six to eight, ages 11 to 14. Webinars are also available through the International Literacy Association on how to use D&D, including building emotional literacy through Dungeons and Dragons and leveling up reluctant readers with Dungeons and Dragons. Lots of really cool educational toeholds overlapping D&D with kids wanting to play learning emotional literacy, learning some math skills, learning probabilities. I think this is all good stuff, and it looks like most of this is um, very cost-efficient, if not free. So um, if any of our listeners who are educators and would run a D&D club or are interested in helping kids game, if you're a teacher, 
or you are involved in some other community activity, uh, Wizards of the Coast, I think, is doing right by those groups. And I think that's pretty swell. That's what I got. Yeah. So uh, I think I think that's uh, fantastic. And if you think about it, this is an amazing kind of marketing thing for total total loss leader man oh absolutely i mean it's like yeah you know they can print out these little booklets and you know i mean they're little packs or whatever it probably doesn't cost them that much to to it probably cost them as much to ship them as it does to print them yeah um and you know you just get them out to these places but if you can get some of these middle high school kids playing D D after school like you've probably got kids who are buying books much later in life you right know. or subscribing to D and beyond right exactly yeah, I, I i really do think this is good um i know my i know my 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 daughter's experience with D club was positive but still not how shall i say optimum and i think having an involved teacher she had an uninvolved teacher i think anything that yeah. gives the teacher an opportunity to lead the kids is better than the kids going off in the corner role-playing who gets drunk where and they did a lot of that in seventh grade and i thought that was uh, a missed opportunity so yeah. um th this is a great opportunity uh to do something exceptional with with the with this tool set in my opinion yep this is opinion-based news i don't know if you knew that no it's great <laughs> uh let's see jason i think there's one last thing right one last thing uh scorn is releasing early october 14th right around the corner right so i'm excited man this is this appears you know watching videos and you've been you, there's stuff you can get on youtube and see for a while but it's looking like body horror to the fullest right in a oh, nightmare yeah. survival hr geiger and z bigzinski uh themed setting so really excited about this game uh, uh it could go multiple ways though right whenever you watch people play on YouTube, you're just getting snippets, cuts, so it could be some survival games are really slow mm -hmm. and very exploratory. Um, I'm curious to see if this one is linear or or if it's, you know, a little more open and it's going to be kind of Metroid, Metrovania-ish, you know what I mean? Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but either way, I think it's going to be pretty gory. So, so is this, um, I mean, you kind of threw it out there, right? This is, uh, is, is this more like left for dead? Is this more oh, no. like Castlevania, or is this more like Minecraft meets horror? Um, I don't think it's going to be anything like Minecraft meets horror. I mean, that would kind of be kind of hilarious. It would, it would, it would be an attempt <laughs> at something that probably would fall flat on its face. But anyways, uh, I'm watching I some mean, videos here. It does not look like Minecraft. No, 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 no. There are, there are, there have been several games like this. Um, I probably should have come prepared to give some that I've no, played before. No, like, um, no. this is terrifying. I think, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it looks like it's going to be a theme of a dungeon crawl, right? Where you're trying to yeah. escape. Yeah. You're probably trapped in some place. You're trying to find your way out. Um, and so the like, only way to get out is to force yourself to participate in the body horror that's happening inside this place. So, like, Doom? Well, I think, I think, I think you're describing things that are too action oriented. I don't think okay. this is going to be as action oriented. So, I think, like, Silent no, Hill. No, I mean, 
he's maybe yeah maybe a mix a of gun, first person or resident person evil stu- maybe a mix of of yeah. silent hill resident evil um the evil within uh those kinds of of, oh. of settings that's kind of he the pulled out his I umbilical cord yeah Gross. i'm not i'm not playing this game <laughs> but i'm glad you think, like it i'm glad you like it i, don't, I like I don't this think, for you yeah Dude, i don't think this is like one for horror you, halo <laughs> i'm not gonna lie like there's I, like i feel like you're like naming action games that are too actiony well, i don't get the impression okay, well, this game slow is down that the action and increase the horror and you got horror halo yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This is, this uh, is this Okay. Is great. Okay. I totally know. change the pace of the game, and you have that game. <laughs> uh, tell us Look, how there's... it is, Jay. I want to know. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell 14th. you on October 14th. Yeah. I want, um, is this co op? Oh, no. That's just single play. Hey, will you please uh, put the spike Wait, in so my rectum, you, please? Can you put a spike in my rectum? Can Thanks. you build a civilization? Because if so, then it's kind of like. <laughs> Civ. There's an alien wrapping its tongue around, circling. Is this, I, is, is this like horror Sims? <laughs> October 14th, ladies and gentlemen. Go to yeah. uh, scorn-game.com and uh, make sure your kids aren't around. Cause, no, uh, it's, I'm not no, going to lie, Jason. Not for the week. Yeah, oh, that's for sure. I'm not going to lie, Jason. I kind of wish this was a co-op game, kind of like our No Way Out. All <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, or or like that, uh, the the uh, what was that? The mind of Medina? No, not mind of Medina. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the uh, man, the of Med- man of uh, man of man of Madeira. Medan. Medan. Yeah, it was the ghost ship one. The ghost that ship was one such a fun game. That was Man. fun. There's another episode of that. We should play it. Oh, dang! Yeah. It's like a a bunch of people cra- uh, run out of gas at like some town enveloped in fog, and they have to like find the way out or something okay we're playing it hands <laughs> so, down so uh scorn i uh says it for itself on steam it is a atmospheric first person horror adventure game okay yeah. set in a nightmarish universe of odd forms and somber tapestry somber yeah. tapestry somber i yeah. i i'm not gonna be the same i just watched just a few clips and um i'm gonna have nightmares for weeks thanks jay <laughs> yeah, so. I like it. <laughs> it's designed. It is designed around the idea of being quote being thrown into the world unquote isolated and lost inside this dreamlike world. You will explore different and connected regions of nonlinear fashion. The unsettling environment is character itself. I know what this is. I know what this is. This is horror mist. Oh, you know what? That yeah. I feel like that is a good. Yeah, horror mist, but with with some some actual fps action a yeah. little bit yeah. you know, of interaction yeah, a little that's bit. that's probably good or maybe like phantasmagoria if you ever played those that game you're talking to the wrong i'll take that as a group. no i'll take that <laughs> as a no. i think i played phantasmagoria <laughs> all right scorn everybody okay, scorn, yep. scorn october 14th do it uh, i'm gonna try to play it like doom we, so is it in the games pass <laughs> It will be. You can they won. play it like Doom. Okay, all right. We'll see how that goes. It'll be good. You should try to play Resident Evil like Doom and yeah, see right. how well you do. Exactly. Oh, I, I, I'm going to put on mute. I need to get a glass of water. I'm feeling a little lightheaded. Well, Dan, thank you for the news. Uh, lots of great stuff there. We appreciate it. And uh, I think this brings us to our main topic. Our geek topic, 
which is how do you help your friends graduate into more competitive games? Uh, Jason, we've all been there before, right? Where you kind of pull, you go to games night and you're like, all right, guys, what do you want to play? And you're looking at the pile and you're like, all right, there's a lot of good stuff. And someone's like, let's play Settlers of Catan. Actually, you're a terrible person to compare that to. You've never yeah. played, you've played Settlers once. I have played it once because every time <laughs> I go to a game night, everyone's like, ah, oh, we've all played that like a million times. Let's play yeah. that game. So I've, n- I've only once in my life I've been able to play Settlers. Um, I, this is this this kind of situation happens to me a lot when we do couples game night, mm-hmm. where yeah. it's like okay let's play a game and you're like okay like let's look at these games here and they're like okay let's play, Phase Ten or something awesome like that yeah um you know where it's like okay let's let's get to something a little bit more tricky now and, and I'll be honest my wife is kind of like she she calls these a little bit more complicated games Justin's games mm. you, know? <laughs> you own them all. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I feel like the dividing line is Settlers of Catan, or or like Puerto Rico. So we we, we set this uh, conversation up in an outline. Let's get into yep. our mindset of ye old days, pre-Catan. Yes, so yep. pre-Catan, there were certain games that we were they were like gateway drugs mm-hmm. to get into better games, and I'm talking about the 80s and early 90s. Yeah. And as much as it gets a bad rap. Risk is on the top of the list. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. I would I mean, absolutely say, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You could risk gives you autonomy. It gives you a dice mechanic. It gives you um, a di- different levels of um, your choices have a direct benefit. It's not completely not completely random. Combat is random. But risk is something you can also wrap your brain around. I have one army; it's going to fight your army. We got to figure out who lives and who dies. Um, and you got to roll a lot of dice, which was great. Yeah. And it kind of broke the seal on people who were like, "Well, why? Why are we rolling these dice? Why aren't we just moving around the board like Sorry or, or Monopoly?" Mm-hmm. So, right, right. Uh, and Risk still lives on today. You can still buy lots of different versions of Risk. And I, I, I had many at one point in time because. Before I got back in RPGs, I invited people over to my house to play weird versions of Risk. Yeah. Um, and then my well, gaming group, that was a bad fit for my gaming group, so I sold all those copies. Well, and, and you know, the funny thing is, is even nowadays, you're saying, like, well, I, I go to gaming conventions, right? We play board games there, and it's always like, well, like what, Risk? Yeah. That's you know, that I mean, like, up. that's almost like, Risk is almost like a complicated game for your regular layperson. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. If if they're used to playing games like Monopoly or Sorry or something like that or card games, Risk is like, whoa, that's a complicated strategic game, there, buddy. And and, and it's a gateway drug because once it gets a little boring, you got to move on. Yeah. And that's where Axis and Allies was right there. It's like okay, and a lot of people got into more complicated games and going to game stores and learning what games were available from Avalon Hill. Even though yeah. those Avalon Hill games were mostly, you know, historical games, but those were plenty complicated. And Axis and Allies was like, yeah, I can wrap my brain around World War II. You know, obviously you're Germany and I'm, you know, Japan or whatever. Great game to get people thinking about different ways. Now, Axis and Allies was a good, good gateway drug to turn somebody into an all-day gamer. It's like, oh, yeah, you want to play a game all day? You know, if you can play Axis and Allies all day, you're good to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's uh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, 
Battleship was one of those great ones too, um, just because you got to blow stuff up. That always was an awesome. Uh, Jay, why'd you put Payday on here? Why why was Payday a good gateway drug for you guys? I like that one because I feel like it has enough um, additional mechanics than just kind of uh, uh, roll the dice, move your piece, and do it. Like I think games like Life yeah. and Payday, while their themes are very like family-oriented themes, they, they introduce mechanics that are more than just doing one thing. Yeah. Rolling the dice and push. I like Payday because my in my mind, Payday is the ten times better than Monopoly game. Yeah, uh, and that came out in but, the seventies too. Payday. Yeah, and and what's great about it is it's one of those games that introduces simultaneous play from back then. You know, you roll the dice, you move on. Depending on where you land, everyone can participate. Everyone can can go in on the real estate. They can sell sell things back. It's and it moves real quickly. So I, I like Payday. I think it's one that a lot of people didn't know about um yeah. in terms of a game and it's one that could introduce you to mechanics that were a little the con- concepts of simultaneous play and it's not 100 percent simultaneous play but just has some of those themes that i think have propagated forward um into games of today yeah absolutely yeah and and, and it was well well designed you know if we're still talking about it and it's from the 70s it's that's a well-designed game yeah, we ha- it comes out every now and then for our family, and the kids mm-hmm. can play it. It's it's not overly complex, which I think is why it's another. It could be another kind, kind of, of gateway. gateway. Game, yeah. yeah. Well, you also had another one on here. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny one. I put Mousetrap on there. Mousetrap was <laughs> legit, man. If you yeah, had dude. A mousetrap set, you were you were rolling. Yeah, You're I a don't rich know. Kid. <laughs> I don't right. I don't know if this is really a gateway drug versus just a you know games can be more than just roll the dice, move your piece, draw a card. But at the end of the day, Mousetrap really was just that. It was just you got to build a really cool constructor set before you started playing. Let me tell you. I, let me tell you yeah. why that one was a class A game. Because if you knew anybody who had all the parts, <laughs> they still, were legit gamers. Still, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Justin. You were talking. You were talking about this. One. No, no. I think it's funny. You're like you're missing the bathtub, and you're like, well, we can't play that game. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. all right. Well, we're done. This game's but the, dead. Uh, but but Mousetrap is kind of funny because, like, if, if you're a kid with Mousetrap, like that really kind of got you into like gaming with your friends. Yeah. Where like. I don't know, like that. I sat down and really played Monopoly with my friends, unless mm, like we were at mm, a party mm, with our parents. Mm. You know what point. I mean? Um, but I would go over to my friend's house and be like, "Oh, I got Mousetrap. Sweet, let's pull it out. Yeah, let's pull it out, right?" And so that kind of started a like, a, "Hey, let's let's play a game together," um, when it's not a quote unquote game time, which is like I said, usually happened when we were at a party with our parents, like right. a New Year's Eve party or something. Yeah. And yeah, a bunch that's a good of kids point. Were sitting around, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, I I did see at the end of this list you have Stratego, um, that was one of my favorite games growing up. Uh, it, it's one that my parents got us for Christmas. Same, yeah. Um, and it kind of blew my mind a little bit because we were so used to playing Sorry and Monopoly and all this ones yeah. that we talked about ad nauseum, but you know Stratego, all of a sudden you're like. Oh wait a minute! I get to set up these pieces in certain ways, and you get the bombs, and then you got the counterattacks, and all that stuff. And um, 
there was a lot more to that game than just like it it was almost like a military version of guess who yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, and guys can what die. What that? Yeah. And you're like, it's a seven. And you're like, you're dead. You're trying to get the general. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so, I, I um, wish there was, was some a, some version of it that that was fun now. I mean, not, not that to say it's not fun now, but I wish. It's that, a little more simple if it was, now. It's pretty basic. It's pretty basic. I think that probably needs, I think there's there's a core game element in there that's probably really rich that hasn't been fully plumbed. Maybe I don't know about all the different strategic, Stratego versions, but uh, now I'm just, because you got me going on the nostalgia pathway with, with mm-hmm. Stratego. Well, let's do something a little less uh, nostalgic. Let's look at the late '90s and early 2000s, and this is kind of where Justin, you were kicking us off with Settlers of the Catan. Yeah. So, and one thing, you know, and we can kind of get into this, but I do think that like the late '90s, early 2000s was sort of a, a I don't know if you want to say a Renaissance boom yeah. for gaming that happened around then. Um, you had a lot of like Euro games kind of come into play. You had other board gamers. Um, I feel like in the, you know, we, we have games like, you know, Payday and Mousetrap and all those other kind of games that sort of came out in the 80s, but there was kind of a drought of, like, good board games for a while. It was almost like you'll take your Monopoly and Sorry and you'll be happy with it. Right, you and know? you could go back to 1965 or 1975 and play the same board game and not have to learn any rules, right? Yeah. And, and, so, and in the, so like, 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 to the your point, 90s. in, the, in yeah. that period of time, things really changed. Sorry, go for it. Yeah, no, I was going to say that in the, in the late 90s, like, um, we started getting a lot of different games. Game stores started shifting a little bit, too, like where you walked in, you're like, what are these games? Yeah. I've never seen these things before. Or, or like, you go into, like, a Barnes & Noble or, a, a, like, a, something like that, and you start seeing, like, different games on the shelf. And you're like, what is happening here? So um, I don't know if that – I don't know what prompted that. I don't know if it was the advent of the internet as well, that things became a little bit more available and connected. But, um, you know, more of these, um, I guess, more complicated games started showing up. How would you describe these games compared uh, to... So I, I think we should start with Catan. Catan is still the one of the best games to help your friends graduate into more complicated games. Yeah. Because there's a different set of choices and your empire building... And the dice are not about moving you around, and the dice aren't even really about conflict, and 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 you you really understand the you, you learn different cause and effects, and you learn player interaction in 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 kind of a cool, unique way. That's mm-hmm. why the game still holds up so well, and that's why there's so many versions. So it it is a a really good entry game. Carcassonne, I could never get into. That one's next on our list. I played it a couple of times and wanted to like it, and anything. I think it's because I didn't fall in love with it ever since anything with a meeple. I kind of tune out 50%. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> oh, there's a meeple. I'm going to have, I'm going to have to ignore this. There's meeples, <laughs> but th- that's kind of along the same way, along the same lines, which was, you know, you have the opportunity to build something, your choice. You have a different set of choices. A lot of these get called Euro games for good reasons. Of course, Catan comes from Euro as to, uh, Europe as does Carcassonne. Mm-hmm. But um, now, when we use the term Euro game, it's much, it's a much broader mm-hmm. swath of games than just just Catan. But um, and sometimes they're pejorative. 
Well, and the nut exactly. And the nice thing about Catan is that you may find word of the day. You may find Catan on a game shelf of somebody who's pretty standard Milton Bradley Parker Brothers. They may have yeah. like dipped their toe in Catan, and then you'll see all their games, and you'll be like, "So which show would we play?" And you see Catan, it's like, "Yep, let's start there." Um, and that's that's the one that really can bust open the door to to other things like Risk Risk did back in the day. So what um so what was it about Catan that made it that much different was cuz I see a lot of replayability. Now you can have tons of replayability with Monopoly or Risk. Yeah. You know, um you can have a lot of replayability there but it it seems like the, there's more quality replayability with like a game like Catan. I think except for the soldier mechanic, which is really not that aggressive. And I'm just talking about basic Catan, not settlers right. and knights or, 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 but I'm talking about just basic Catan. It, it has an opportunity of you're kind of land grabbing and that, and you're kind of trading. The, the land grabby thing is the meanest thing you can do and not trade trading something to somebody who needs something is the meanest thing you can do. There's a real social component to the game. Mm. which makes it a lot more fun than let's say a monopoly. Um yeah. and in Catan if you if if you're if you're if you're if you have the right headspace it can be collaborative to the point of additive collaborative not not something where you're just constantly trying to one up each other and compete against each other. So um and it also feels like a puzzle. It also feels like once you get the hang of it the next time you play you think you can win. And that is a well-designed game. Um, is yeah, it, I think I'll I'll add two really quickly. Um, multiple ways to win. Having right? yeah, you, like the long road or whatever, yep. the biggest army or whatever. Or you know, you realize like, oh, I, my lot is with um, you know, bricks and tree and wood. Yeah. So I need to focus on building certain things. You know what I mean? Um, versus your friend, so it's a little bit asymmetrical, a little bit, a little bit with Catan. Um, mm -hmm. but there's different, there's different ways to score points, different ways to win. Monopoly is not like that, right? Like the yeah. way to win is you accumulate properties and, yeah. and charge your friends to death. Yeah. Um, bleed them dry. Know. Yeah. Uh, so one of the, the, like what you mentioned about Catan was, was that those multiple ways to win and that, that really comes into play. There's different strategies, right? And, and those strategies are not necessarily, um, mutually exclusive to each other. You can jump from one strategy to another depending on opportunities that come up. So it's just it's just really well well designed. Um, kind of on the other side of the spectrum from that, but it's also a great gateway game from that era was the 2005 Arkham Horror game. Um, there was a previous version from the 80s, but the 19 the 2005 version, is kind of the quintessential quintessential version that a lot of us are very very familiar with, and we played it a lot. Um, that was a great game because you were playing a character and you had kind of a stat block and you had equipment, a lot like kind of a it's kind of an RPG light. It's our, an RPG yeah. in a box. Also, what made Arkham Horror different for its time was the number of expansions that came out. I mean, we talk about expansions today like, of course you have 12 expansions to that game. Well, Arkham Horror did a great job of normalizing that for a lot of players. Um, they were like, ooh, I can buy more to this game and I can add to this game. 
So for a lot of people who were gaming, the first expansion they ever bought to an existing board game, which you couldn't do with Monopoly, was was Arkham Horror. And they all they they just made it more complicated, and it gave it lots of great hours of play and replayability. And that one you don't feel like you're going to win every time. Usually the purpose of that game is to feel like you're about to lose at any moment. Um, but that's that's Arkham Horror for you. It's an interesting one because, and I sat here and looked at it for a while, tried to think what I consider Arkham Horror a gateway to move people into more complex games. And I think it's one that can be overwhelming when you say, if you walk someone into the room and you say, hey, I set this game up before you guys got here, we're going to play it, and they look at the board, they might be like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? Oh no. Because there's like, you know, there's like 12 different card decks, three or four different card sizes on the decks. Uh, you know, five or six different phases that right. you have to go through. Yeah. It could be, a, oh, and a, and a bag you can't look into when you pull out monsters. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's the it bag. could seem very overwhelming. But <clears throat> once you play, right, play is extremely simple, right? You yeah. move and you can either, vi- you know, you visit the town or, or whatever, you know, in the different phases. It's one of those games where you make, on your turn, you make one to two choices and then you let the game play itself for you for the next phases of that turn. Yeah. Um, so it can, I think it can be one where you can introduce people to a very heavy story, a story-based game that's not just a mechanic get victory points, but let's let's play out a story and let's see what happens as the you know as the town is crumbling along us as this great evil that's pushing its way. Um, over the town. So if, if people are interested in, like, say, hey, let's uh, let's all get together and watch movies, like, or, or we could play a movie out from the 1920s, a horror yeah. that takes over a town. Let's do it. It'd be fun. And another key component of this game is that it is usually, at least back in the early, the mid, early mid-2000s, was one of the first co-op games that people played. And that was another paradigm shift. Which Pretty was, heavy co-op. was... Yeah. You know, there's we're all working oh, yeah. together here uh, to to a certain degree, especially when the big monster comes out, and and that that that's a that was a huge paradigm shift from previous eras. If you look at the other games that we have from the old days, Risk, Access, Analyze, Battleship, everyone's out to just destroy each other. Mm-hmm. In Arkham Horror, you're you're in it together, um, and that was that was a unique kind of gateway drug into going to do other cool games that were interesting. Yeah, I, th- I think Hero Quest is another example. You know, Hero Quest was like 1989 was the first host. It was basically an early 90s yeah. game. It yeah. was very much a dungeon crawl co-op game. Right. Let's all get through this yeah. together. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I um I think early mid 2000s you had Pandemic come out. Yeah. You had um Forbidden Island. Like these are all kind of early prototype co-op games that um I don't know if prototypes the right word, but they had you know there there were co-op games that all of a sudden like were much more meaningful than previous attempts at it. So um, I think I, I think that's a good point. I, one thing that I wanted to point out is that it was at this time that I think you saw an explosion of a lot of different types of games. Yeah. Right. Like you just had a category of board games before. Mm-hmm. Right. And board games meant basically anything that you're playing on a cardboard surface you know but now you had like bang was like a card game that you could play that was essentially a western version of murder in the dark right Mm -hmm. you had um 
you had some of these other ones like uh, uh, Catan that we talked about. You had Arkham Horror, which is you know a, a game. You had the like we, we said like uh, Hero Quest that that type of thing. You had Magic the Gathering. Yeah, was that's really the that, off, Magic the know? Gathering. That's the nine hundred pound gorilla that changed yeah. everything. Broke up a lot of good D and D groups when it came out. By the way, <laughs> people <laughs> people were not friends when when they switched from D and D to to, to Magic yeah. the Gathering. Um, that one started out as a real casual game and either you got into it and you got good at it, you, you really invested in it, or you jumped to another game that would come out. And so what you would have is like, there was a Star Trek customizable card game and a Star Wars one. And there was a vampire, the, the masquerade version. And these games started to really just penetrate, uh, into the gaming stores and they saved a lot of gaming stores because they didn't take up a lot of shelf space and it was like a total crack hit this was like the first time you would like say wow i have a lot of cards and it's not enough i need to go triple the number of cards i have to have more cards to build better decks and that's when you got your uh, secondary market going where you go buy specific Mm -hmm. cards for your decks i remember being a runner for a cpa firm and I would swing, if I was in the neighborhood of a card store, I would swing by and I would look for a card I wanted to collect four of and uh, to see if there was one in my price range. So Magic the Gathering really changed, really opened the doors to very different kinds of gaming. I mean, this was a game, guys, that had uh, TV commercials. Like mm-hmm. they, it was being, you know, it was back when TV commercials were a big deal where there were, you know, weren't as many channels, right? It also had um, ESPN eSports. Well, what we would call eSports, but gaming sports. It was like the first non-athletic games that ESPN Mm -hmm. 4, ESPN 8, the Hocho, would carry. Um, So that was a gateway for a lot of people. I don't know if it still is today. I don't know if I would recommend... People are like, hey, I want to get into something that's different kind of games. I would never point them to Magic the Gathering. Right. However, if they found a bunch of Magic the Gathering cards, like maybe they inherited some for in a box or found some in a, in a garage sale and were like, hey, how do I play this game? I would say, well, let me bust out my cards from the 1990s and we'll just sit down and play this. Yeah, I wouldn't put <clears throat> I would definitely have put Magic Gathering in the early 90s as a gateway. Yeah. Card game drug. Nowadays it's too competitive. Yeah. It's it's too competitive now. Yeah, it's got a very different barrier to entry as far as being good at it and finding people to play with. The weird thing about Magic the Gathering is you can buy cards at Walmart and Target, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. Pushing all those small little, you know, retailers out of business, but still. Yeah. Um, and you can com- be convinced that you have a deck worth playing right. when you buy it at Walmart. Yes, you can be like, "Wow, this is I've got good cards. Oh, I could play this. Look at this." Yeah. And you sit down in the game store and you're out in like turn three, and you're like, yeah. "Wait, Ooh. what's going on?" Ooh. It's like, "Oh, you need to go up to that special glass booth and go get some cards." Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, the we we hit on a lot of good stuff right there. The late '90s, early 2000s. It was an explosion of different types of games that came out, right? And I think that brings us to kind of nowadays. So, you know, you've got your friends who are like, oh, okay, you, you play games. Like, so what do you play? Risk or 
Catan. I played Catan once or something like that. I mean, I, I, I go back to that because I hear that all the time from, from yeah. friends who say they play board games, right? Oh, yeah, you game? Cool. Like, you know, what is it? So, it, you know, it always seems to be Catan or, or, or Risk or something like that. Um, but what I was thinking about this, when we go to Gen Con and we we try a lot of different games, we play a lot of different games, inevitably you're like, oh, what is that game? What kind of game is that? And we can say, oh, it's a 4X um, it's a 4X, uh, you know, asymmetric game. Yeah. It's a, a dungeon crawler. It's a co-op horror game. It's a, like, you've got these categories of games now. Worker placement. Yeah, worker placement. <clears throat> like, you've got these categories of games now that um, I think companies are tending to kind of say, like, okay, we're going to make a game. It's going to go out and Kickstarter. It's going to have miniatures, but it's going to be an X type of game or X type of game. And so it'll have a certain set of mechanics um, that they'll that they'll use that as a gamer that has played a lot of different games, you can pick up on quickly because you're like, okay, I've played this type of a game before, you know, and, and now I know the mechanics. But to the to the novice who, you know, their most complicated thing is, is playing Risk, it can seem a little overwhelming to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you get that a lot with Will. To hit your point, whenever I'll sit down at a Gen Con table with play a new or a convention table to play a new game, and they'll be explaining the rules, you can see the people who are familiar just with games in general because they'll preemptively ask the edge questions, the right. rules edge yeah. questions, and you're like, yeah. "Oh, well, that was actually a good question. Thank you for asking that." You know, and then but it's like the thing that'll come up once a game, but you know they knew to look for it because we just are familiar with the different mechanics that mm-hmm. companies build around their games now so if we were going to define what are and we're not trying to define the different types of games for nowadays we're still trying to focus what are gateway drug games for today to help people today in you know the 2020s to transition from milton bradley's and hasbro's to um to to kind of these more complex games what are today's games that would do that so so my the game that i would recommend right now right this minute is the lost ruins of arnak totally right that's a game that we played at gen con by check games i would recommend this game because it was a combination of a worker placement game um it had multiple ways to win and uh, the mechanics were really easy and it had some cool components like it had multiple components that you needed to use but not too many Right, like, and, and, and the turns were fast, and the turns were fast, and you all kind of were doing such. Everybody was playing in a round, right? Um, you weren't playing exactly at the same time, but you, everybody was playing in one round. You weren't waiting like ten minutes for somebody to get their turn done. So um, that game, I think we played it. It lasted like maybe two hours, is what maybe I think what we played. I think it, it was in. under that. I think it was about an hour and forty. Yeah, that's probably about right. Um, yeah. But it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun and engaging. So. Somebody who's new, who, let's say they're graduating from Monopoly. I'm just going to use that as an example. Uh, the act of moving pieces to certain spots um, is going to be familiar. Tokens and things that they use is going to be familiar. But some of the other mechanics won't be, but they're not so difficult that they couldn't over- overcome it. I think that that's the perfect gateway board game to bring somebody into kind of a more modern. It's a fun theme, games. too. Yeah. 
it's a fun theme. It's like an Indiana Jones or um, uh, uh, Uncharted, like all those kinds of adventure. Sahara theme. with Matthew yeah. McConaughey. Well, and, okay. and theme really matters, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah th- all right, all right, all right. Theme matters. And so that's why on the nowadays list I put horrified, right? Because that's that's a great one. I agree with that. Dracula, Frankenstein, every you know, uh, the Mummy, the Invisible it's like Man. Arkham Light. Yes, it and it's you understand the whole point of the game, which is don't let the monsters get you and save the townspeople. Um, but it's complicated enough to have you want to keep going back and playing it again. Um, another one. There's two games I want to talk about that are great games for large groups. Um, there's Werewolf, the card game where there's villagers and werewolves and stuff like that. That is a great way to get people who are not usually into gamer games doing something different. That's fun. Um, social deduction game. Social uh-huh. deduction. Secret Hitler is kind of a, a cousin to that. Uh, once once you underst- once people understand the mechanics of Secret Hitler, once they see it being played a couple of turns, then man, that that game lights up on fire real fast. You can yeah, I'll tell you that you got to be careful with Secret Hitler. I I think I would start with a werewolf over Secret Hitler because yeah, if you, if you, if you are you know, not yeah. if you are not a deep ga- social gamer, um, and I've seen this, and you play Secret Hitler, I could see people really struggling with the fact that you lied to them. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's never happened. And you got to sell this. You got to sell this. It's like, hey, you're going to be good at this game if you're good at lying, right? You, 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 if you're good at, and you walk through the different scenarios of what you're going to say, and you, there's not that many different scenarios. It's yeah. like that Jason. person didn't hand me in any liberal policies. You know, there's only a few things that can be said after every turn. What were you saying, Justin? Uh, there's no one's ever had a problem with me lying to them, Jason. No, no, no. The problem is my wife. No, I can. We can hear you, Dan. No, my wife yeah. said uh, at the end of a Secret Hitler game that she would never trust Justin ever again. Ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I just turned around and looked at her, and she just said, "Nope." <laughs> yeah, it was bad. Good times. Good times. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so, um, yeah. So I think that I wouldn't recommend starting with Secret Hitler. I think I would start with a werewolf. I think werewolf is a little bit more of like, if you play werewolf or a mafia, most people are going to be familiar with mafia or murder in the dark and hey, werewolf. The card game kind of brings, well, it's not really a card game, but let's you know, talk about, let's talk about stranger things. Do you mean the game you played at Gen Con? Yeah. Um, did, uh, I did watched you? you over the shoulder. Oh, um, who played it? Who Dan? It was did you, you and play it? John. It was you and John. Yeah, I think Dan might have gotten this with his girl too. Yeah, he did. I think my, Dan might be having some mic problems right now. We heard him and then he, and then he cut out. Yeah, um, but uh, but uh, I'm gonna be honest with you. The mechanics of it are very easy and super quick to pick up and pretty good. I'm gonna be honest. It's it's pretty good. So. Like if you want a fun, like especially if you're into Stranger Things, uh, we talked about how the IP kind of matters in yep. graduating people. Like if they can latch onto something familiar, right, that moves them up, right. Like trying to get somebody into the Warhammer 40k universe might be um, hard. 
it might be a little tricky, right? Like, unless they're totally into sci-fi and, and that kind of thing. But if they've been watching Stranger Things and you're like, hey, here's this card game that you can play in, like, 20 minutes. So, and, speak... you know, yeah, like, it's it's a little bit social deduction, you know, kind of a little bit more complicated. Um, they're they're going to be playing Secret Hitler not too long afterwards. Not too long I mean? afterwards. Agreed. And another on that, on the IP, I think Villainous is one that brings that IP that everyone is familiar with, right? Uh, the original villainous skin is basically Disney movies that are all mashed together, right? You can pick your favorite kind of Disney villain um, and play them. Uh, and the, it's a little bit of an asymmetric game because you have different goals that you're going for, so you kind of you can introduce asymmetry in gameplay. Um, yeah. But uh, and the mechanics, I think, are. They are a little. They are a little bit more involved, but mm. because it's got that friendly Disney skin on it, I think people would probably stick around a little bit more to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely. I mean, again, the IP kind of matters there a little bit. Right. Yep. Another. <clears throat> another one that uh, I think is good is Battle Stations. We've talked about this in our uh in our podcast several times this is one i would say i would say this is an entry game as long as you have someone experienced that's running it because uh, dan yes. dan usually runs yes. this for us he's super experienced he understands the mechanics the rules he doesn't have to dive into the books mm -hmm. but when the players you know it's one of those where you have the players playing against the dm and, and dan's the dm but when when the players are playing it, it's a super simple game, and it has throwback feelings to anyone who's ever watched the Star Trek episode. Right, yeah, totally. You know, you totally feel like you are playing in a Star Trek episode. It's fun, it's kind of goofy in terms of the aliens. You all have roles, and you're running around to the different stations on the ship, cooperating together to try to fight um, enemies and, and other things, or other uh, bad uh, uh, ships that are trying to board you. And it, it, it's such a simple turn-based system, but it's cooperative, so everyone is always kind of making decisions to try to help. So if you've got someone like Dan who can run it for you, then it can be a very strong entry to get people to look at uh, other games. And we've had success doing this with, like, Couples Night Battle Stations. Oh, uh, yeah, totally, totally. It's been very, very effective um, at times. Yeah, one one uh, game that you guys listed here that I think is great is Zombie Side. We talked about this last week about how it's kind of still like a living game that they keep releasing things for it, right? So the replayability of Zombie Side is pretty high. Um, the nice thing about Zombie Side is that it is a co-op game. So uh, sometimes these co-op games, if they're a good co-op game, uh, Sometimes the co-op games are easier to get your friends into with you because you're helping them and that's okay. You know, yeah. like if you're playing like a 4X That's a really game, good point. You know, if you're playing a 4X game where you're trying to like obliterate them through technology or something like that, you know, you're a little hesitant to like read their cards or show them your cards and explain to them like how to play the game because it's competitive. But if it's co-op, man, like you're, you're hand in hand and you can kind of help them get there um i think some i think some co-op games are better than others i feel like pandemic sometimes you fall into the trap where somebody will end up playing your turn for you 
you know? <coughs> yeah, um, well, and that's so that's a really good point, Justin, because if you're playing a co-op game, if you help someone play their turn, it doesn't feel like they're not right. playing as much. Because I think we've all had we've all had those friends that, uh, or not necessarily friends, but just people that we knew people would play with who are like, what do I do this? And then they show you their cards. Like, I'm not supposed to see your cards, but uh, that's what this card means. Yeah. And like right. every turn when they draw a card, I don't know what this card means. Can you tell me what I'm supposed to do with this card? It's like, uh, it's kind of ruining the game experience. But yeah. Yeah. Let me let me just, just you know, it's, it's funny. Whenever we play games that have any kind of a complex thing like that with new people, I usually will say, okay, for the first turn, everyone, we're all just going to play with our hands open. Yeah. So that we can see everything and we'll go through it. And then we'll just swipe it and restart the game. But co-op games, um, what do I do in my turn? Well, let me help you. Let's figure out what we want to do, you know. And then yeah. it's you got to keep that theme. Let's not what you're going to do. Let's figure out what we're going to do. And I think right. that can help a lot. Yeah, yeah and a, a nice thing about Zombie Side, right, is that you guys can strategize together and say, okay, like, I'm going to go out here. I'm going to make some noise. What do you want to do? You want to run in there and check? you know search search the room for some goods that we need to get okay great and then you just kind of execute and you're still rolling your dice for you you know what i mean so you're you're playing your turn mm-hmm. um but you can work together so uh co-op games can be a very good segue into that um we had a real quick on that yeah, we had a friend yeah. that um a guy that we've started to roll into our, our gaming nights regularly here his name's joseph uh really Really fun guy to play with. And the first couple times we played kind of a co-op slash, you know, maybe uh, team-based games, when he walked away, he said, you know what was really cool about that is that you guys, he said, you can tell you guys are experienced because even though it's a co-op game, you're still letting people make their own choices and their own decisions. And I think that's yeah. really important once you figure a game out. it's It can be so tempting to have one person drive the car. Yeah. With everyone sitting in the back seat, but to say, look, it's, well, what do I do here? Well, here's some options, but it's your turn, so you choose. Right. You decide. And make people make choice. You know, yeah, give totally. them the ball and say, it's your turn to shoot. Yep. Um, and, and I'm going to throw back a little bit to Axis and Allies. You know, we talked about how Axis and Allies um, was um, sort of like a segue to our nowadays games uh Mm -hmm. but i will say this like i've played access and allies recently with people who are still in the monopoly mode right and the great thing about access and allies is you're on a team but you're in charge of your country you know and so you can talk together about like hey you do the like maybe you can do this maybe you can do that maybe you can do that but you still get to play your turn you still get Mm -hmm. to buy your units Mm -hmm. you still get it you know what i mean um so even though Access and Allies is a little dated, it's been updated a couple of times. Um, you know, I don't think it's like the best kind of strategy game out there anymore, but I still think it's got a lot of merit and a lot of a good playtime mm-hmm. to it too. Uh, and the great thing is, is if you've got somebody who's stuck in sort of the old Parker Brothers mentality, um, that's a great one because again, you're on teams that you can help like work together and they don't feel like they've got a figure a whole complicated game out themselves. Yep. You know, you can be like, yep. okay, this is your turn, but right now you got to think of what units you want to buy. What do you think you're going to need here? And you can walk them through the steps that helps them get to the end point and they're going to, you know, without them having to search the rules or 
think really long and hard about yep. it and all that, you know. So yep. well, and while I love Twilight Imperium and I I love it playing it way more than Axes and Allies, I think I would probably recommend Axes and Allies over Twilight Imperium for oh. a transition. Uh, dude, I I feel like Twilight Imperium is like the pinnacle of gaming. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it is an amazing amazing game. And but that's like the pinnacle. That's where you have gotten through the Axis and Allies and the Zombie Tides and the, you know, uh, the Stellarises and the Terraforming Marses and all those games. And you've made it to Twilight Imperium. And you're playing with people who know what you know, kind of know what that game's about. And that's an amazing game to play when you get there, right? That's like you can't climb Mount Everest without doing like some smaller mountains first. All right, well, fortunately, we've got Dan back. Uh, Dan, you had some microphone issues, and uh, you missed our little bit about uh, Mount Everest and and uh, Twilight Imperium, but uh, we kind of back-briefed you a little bit. You know, you really do have to be thoughtful about what games you introduce to people. I was at a retreat after hours with my boss and my boss's boss, and Sean is a buddy of ours, and I work with Sean. And we were going to sit down and play Call to Adventure. And my boss's boss sat down and she's like, show me how to play this game. About 20 minutes in, she's like, I really don't want to play this game. (laughs) (laughs) She didn't even play one round. So um, you may think that you've got a really good game that's a really good entry. And I thought Call to Adventure was... Um, but know the person you're, you're dealing with, right? You know, uh, there's a big difference between somebody who's played Axis and Allies so many times they can recite it in their sleep, but they've never RPG'd versus somebody who I started passing out tarot size cards and they started getting a little (laughs) weird and it's, and every time I, I, I do one of these, I gotta be me things It always comes back to bite me in the butt. I'm like, well, this is me. This is what I'm into. I gotta be me. And she's like, I need to go back to my room to write emails. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, there, let me pull out my Uno deck. We'll yeah. play Uno. <laughs> well, you know, and that's where a game like Sushi Go is like a really cool way of matching and sharing cards and stuff like that. Sushi Go could be one of those games where, you know, um, it's a lot more like a suit card game than, than it is a... Um, you know, one of these gamer games. So there's there's other ones out there. You just have to kind of know where to, uh, you know, where <laughs> you got to know your audience. Uh, it, you're not helping anybody if you open up a game and people stand up and walk away. So, mm-hmm. uh, and you don't, you it takes a little risk. You never know. She may have loved it and we may have had a gamer, but that didn't happen that night. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good point. So that's a good point. So, yeah, I you know I think I think this topic's really interesting because the goal is is to expand your gaming group, right? And I you know it's funny because my wife gives me a hard time again, like she says all the time, like oh those are Justin's games and things like that. And my kids are slowly coming around to some of the games that I like playing because they realize that some of these other games just aren't that fun after you've played them so many times, mm-hmm. you know. And so. Yeah. Um, the the goal again is to expand your group, expand your social sphere, expand those people who can play these with. And so sometimes you, well, I wouldn't say sometimes all the time, you got to meet the people where they're at and then just kind of pull them along a little bit. Sometimes somebody's ready to jump right into an RPG. Like, um, 
myself and John Tross, we were ready to, to jump into an RPG and away we went with that. Right. Um, but that was after having played like Axis and allies forever and reading fantasy novels and playing video game RPGs. Like I had prepped myself un- unwittingly to be able to jump into an RPG, no problem and, and start playing. Um, but not everybody's there. So you got to kind of meet them where they're at, you know, and, and, uh, and find out what they like, what they'd be interested in and get those gateway games in, in their hands and in front of them. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. You'll find something. And, and some people, if they're just more interested in social, then that's great. Find a social game like sushi go or, or one of those or, or werewolf. But, uh, you know, I think people generally like they like spending time with other people. And if they're going to sit down and say, let's play a game, then you've already opened one door, which is let's yeah. spend some time together as friends. Yeah. And I mean, you got to read the room, right? If you're there with a bunch of your uh, wives who want to talk more than they want to play, uh, get a very social game. Then. Yep. Social right? game that'll help with the talking. <laughs> yep, get a very yeah. social game. I- anything except Bunko. Don't don't let them buy Bunko. <laughs> they like the Bunko, and the only thing, the only good thing for Bunko is to rate it for D sixes. If you don't have enough, let me just say that. If you see it on your shelf, just steal the D sixes out of yeah. it. Yeah. And people go, we can't play this game. There's no dice, and I go, I don't know what happened, sweetie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and and you know, it's funny because there's been times where, again, our buddy John has organized a uh, Axis and Allies game day and a Twilight Imperium game day where we went into that game knowing that it was going to take us eight to ten hours to play. Right, and we had budgeted our time, and we had an amazing time on both times playing it. Yep. Because we knew what we were going in for, right? And so if you if you know your friends, if you know what they're into, um, find that game that, that would, you know, make them be like, oh, wow, this is great. And play that a few times and then introduce them to something else that you think they'd like. So slowly but surely. And then all of a sudden you've got a, a person who's willing to try anything or go to Gen Con with you. You know, because they're like, oh, wow, like I, I love playing these types of games. Let's go to Gen Con and do more of it. So um, that's the goal. I, I I think a great example of this, actually, Dan, is our friend Adam. Yeah, 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 right? yeah. Who um, <laughs> who randomly saw a post on my website about I was playing Star Wars Legion at at GuildCon, and he came over. He played Warcry with us. Um, he ended up joining the uh, Star Wars RPG. He's he's now running a session. Yeah. Um, with his buddies, and yeah. I mean, like he he he's in it. Like he's yeah. in it now. You know, and and that's a great a great example. I mean, he played before, right? He was playing X Wing and yeah. and Legion and stuff like that. So it's not like we had to introduce him or, or do some gateway stuff, but we definitely did some gateway RPG, which was Star Wars. Yeah, you yeah, th- that's very accessible, and you know, everybody's not going to end up dying. That helps too with these players. <laughs> but um, circling back, uh, you you have to keep inviting somebody new. If you're not inviting somebody new on a regular basis, your, your game group, your gaming group is going to get a little stagnant and um, just keep asking people. And if they say no, that's fine. Um, If there's couples that don't want to come play games with you for couples game night, now that COVID is pretty much over, I want to get back into doing that. 
Uh, we bought a house with a whole dedicated game room because we had a horrible multi-purpose basement in my last house. Yet we have yet to do a couple's game night in two years. And I'm blaming COVID, but nonetheless, um, expand out your group. And, and once you build trust and once people are like, oh, so-and-so has games that are fun and different and I like going over there because I know I'm going to be exposed to a different kind of game, then that can be pretty pretty great too. Um and pretty soon, what happened to us in our little RPG group, uh, Jay, that, you know, a few of us had started in the D20, pretty soon we've split into basically the equivalent of three groups. We've had yeah. so many mm-hmm. players come yeah. and go, yep. uh, maybe even four if we really started counting noses. So um, uh, anyway, keep it up. Keep up the good work, you guys. Keep keep gaming. It's a great hobby, and it, it, it always uh, y- you can always get out of it what you put into it. Yeah, and it brings world peace. World peace. That's right. If we could just war game instead of wars, that would be way cooler. <laughs> right. It'd be like sharing a Coke with everybody. <laughs> a Coke so, Zero. That's right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. Do you guys have some ideas of what types of games are perfect to introduce your friends to to get them to that next level? Share it in our comments on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, on Instagram. Give us what you like. Give us what you know. And until then, keep the dice rolling and have a great night. See ya. Good night. Good night.